Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. W.J. Pierce for creating and performing our music. Good evening, and welcome to Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights Live. We're your hosts, Alistair Cross and Tamara Thorne, and we're also joined tonight by our YA co-host, Q.L. Pierce. Thank you for joining us. Uh, before we get to the really good stuff, um, Tamara and I would like to tell you a little about our Thorn and Cross vampire novel, Darling Girls. Yeah, in Darling Girls, Fang meets Fang when the vampires of Candle Bay and Crimson Cove come together for the Biting Man Festival in Eternity, California, to celebrate a centuries-old tradition that quickly turns murderous as they're faced with old enemies, uncontrolled bloodlust, and the unpredictable antics of a self-proclaimed vampire slayer who's hell-bent on destroying them all. Oh, yes. Uh, good times. Darling Girls is available in ebook and paperback at Amazon, and be sure to check out its companion novels, Candle Bay, The Crimson Corset, and The Silver Dagger. Again, this is Thorne and Cross, Haunted Nights Live. You can learn more about what we do at our websites, alistaircross.com, tamrathorne.com, or qlpierce.com. Uh, the Thorne and Cross mutual blog is thorneandcross.wordpress.com, and if you tweet, our handles are at crossalister and at tamrathorne. Uh, you can visit our Haunted Nights Live page on Facebook, and you can find us on Instagram at, at Thorn and Cross or at official underscore Alistair Cross. For more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at AuthorsOnTheAir.com. This is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. And as I stated, we are joined tonight by our uh, co-host, uh, QL Pierce, who's going to be taking charge. But before that, let me introduce her very quickly. QL Pierce is our multi-award winning co-host, and uh, she's the author of Scary Stories for Sleepovers and over 150 other books for middle grade and young adult readers. Her latest, Spine Chillers, is available now in ebook and paperback at Amazon. Welcome aboard, Q, and thank you for your wonderful service to the show. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, tonight, we have an incredible show. Uh, Jonathan Mayberry is a New York Times best-selling, multiple Bram Stoker award-winning horror and thriller author. He's an editor comic book writer, magazine feature writer, playwright, content creator, writing teacher, lecturer, and creator of the Netflix series V Wars, starring Ian Somerhalder. Um, what is my, do I still have time left? <laughs> That's all. <laughs> <a lot. laughs> Jonathan was named one of the today's top 10 horror writers, and his books have been sold in more than two dozen countries. So welcome, Jonathan. Thank you, and uh, I think we need to abbreviate that, that intro. It's like the big hairy writer guy. That, that, that'll, that'll probably do it. Well, I, I didn't, you know, I don't know what to leave out. There's so many great things there, but, but and I have tons to ask you about. But um, I do want to talk about first your newest release, Rage, which is part of the Joe Ledger bioterrorism thriller universe that began ten years ago with the release of Patient Zero, but. Before we get into it, would you set the stage and give us a little background about Joe Ledger? Sure. Joe Ledger is um, he's a former Baltimore cop 
who was um, and a former Army Ranger. It was kind of Shanghai into a spec ops group that is, is a, a blend of, of uh, scientists and shooters. And they go after um, terrorists with weird science, who have weird science weapons. Each book is a different kind of weird science. And the original series, which started with Patient Zero and ended with Deep Silence, um, during that series, he's with a group called the Department of Military Sciences. At the end of, of last year's book, Deep Silence, they left that group, they closed that group, and found they could not, kind of no longer work with the, um, the current administration because there was too much red tape and so on. So they went and formed an international group. And so Rage is the first book of the new series, Rogue Team International. Um, some of the same characters, but a lot of new characters and a much more international feel, but still the same degree of violence, sarcasm, and uh, uh, weird science. Excellent. Okay. Well, um, now in Rage, let's see, I have a review here from Criminal Elements. It says, rage is not for the faint-hearted, as your heart will be in your throat during the nonstop action that Jonathan Mayberry has created. Bringing Joe Ledger to the international scene, Mayberry has started a new chapter for his protagonist, raising the bar for a thriller series that was already one of the best in the business. So, wow. um, you, now you said that, wasn't that good? <laughs> you said yeah. that... Um, um, <laughs> that this is going to be an international scene. So uh, where are we going and uh, what's going to happen? We'll give well, a little it, teaser. Yeah. I mean, it opens with a, a rescue mission in uh, Syria and um, goes from there to a cafe in Turkey where bad things happen. And then a big chunk of the book is set in North and South Korea where somebody is releasing a, bioweapon that causes kind of like a 28 days later sort of rage state, but it's not a, it's not a virus. It's, it's an actual something from, from, from nature that um, can do what, what, what the, uh, the bad guys have it doing just does it with animals in the, in, in nature. So uh, uh-huh. we go to Korea and then we, then we go elsewhere too. There, there are scenes set in the United States in Greece in um, uh, Norway, you know, he bound, the characters bounce all over in pursuit of the bad guys in the story, some of whom will go on to become like series villains that will uh, continue to cause problems and Joe will continue to make their life difficult. Okay. Now you seem to have built into the story some elements of uh, current political issues. Um, is your world building process very different for an international setting than uh, when well, you're writing uh, an act? something based in the United States. Yeah. But, well, the original series, I mean, it, it deals a bit with American politics. Um, not, you know, I, I don't try to land left or right. Just the, the, the people like, like Joe Ledger have a dislike and a disdain for anyone in power who believes that they, they, sh- they have a better, clearer view than those who are in the, in the field or in the intelligence communities. And, um, you know, working with red tape often delays the response and people can get killed. Bad things can happen. This group is the first response, literally the first response to uh, a catastrophic threat. But with the international story, um, not only do we have uh, a group that is now able to pick its own fight, so it doesn't have to deal with red tape. They work with the UN, but they're not answerable to them. Um, I also get to play with uh, issues that go on, like the central part of the book deals with the 
questions of, uh, you know, would it be a good idea for North and South Korea to reunify? Um, there are compelling arguments mm-hmm. on both sides. There are also um, some things that, that can happen that could cause wars if it happened or if it didn't happen. So it's very much torn from, from current politics. And I did a ton of research um, with people from everywhere from the State Department to admirals and the Admiral of the Pacific Submarine Force to make sure that I really understood, you know, the, the, the current politics and the realities of the politics, not the assumptions of politics that uh, most writers rely on. And I, I the, the writers that I, whose books I read are the ones who actually get in the trenches and, and talk to people who are currently in these jobs so that we get very accurate, a very scary um, and very timely information. Now, how do, what does that look like? Are, are people in those positions willing to uh, to talk freely with an author, or are there any restrictions, or how does that work? Well, it's, it depends on the question, but um, they're almost always willing to talk to you because they, they really want us to get it right. In fact, there's, a, there's an organization called the Science and Entertainment Exchange where experts in various fields, including the military, will come and speak to screenwriters and producers and novelists usually at a, at a big house mm-hmm. party, say in Brentwood or some other place. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, Elon Musk was there one time and the Admiral of the Pacific Submarine Force was there. Uh, the, the scientists who developed the CRISPR gene editing technology was there, were there one, one time. So we, they get, give us a lecture so that we get it right in our books and screenplays and so on, and also allow us to ask questions because if there's something that is dangerous um, or if there's something that, that's, dangerous because of a misconception they'd really like us to be able to set the record straight because more people will go to mm-hmm. see a movie for example than might um uh read a, a non-fiction book on their on global politics or national politics that's fascinating i i remember reading once that uh the jet propulsion laboratory is um uh they review sci-fi television shows which i yeah. found uh, really and- Amazing. Yeah, and, and almost every organization has its own PR people, but uh, a lot of these a lot of these experts are are self vetting. I mean, like when I talk to somebody in special <laughs> ops or DARPA, which is the Defense Advanced Research um, Division, um, they they will know what they can and can't talk about. And sometimes uh-huh. I, you know, a writer would need to get clearance or get vetted by the FBI if they want to do a certain type of. Uh, uh, investigation for their novel, and then they're told what what they what they're really not allowed to say, um, or they're they're denied certain lines of questioning. But usually, if it's that secret, we don't know enough about it anyway. Um, what gets weird yeah. though is when you come up with something that is really really um, touchy, and they're, they're like, "Why why are you writing about that? How do you know about that?" I'm like, "I made it up." And they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna have a longer <laughs> conversation about that because." You made it up is not really the answer I'm looking for. So I've had some of those uncomfortable oh, wow. conversations. Okay. Well, let's, let's go back um, to the, the inception of um, Joe Ledger for just a minute here. When you, when you first started out, um, you, were, you had this combination of zombies and terrorists. And um, what was it about zombies that attracted your attention? When I was 10 years old, um, I snuck into the movie theater on October 2nd, 1968 to see the world premiere of Night of the Living Dead. So I've Ooh. been a fan of the genre from the beginning. 
Um, and at the time, right around the time I, I created Joe Ledger, I was actually doing edits on a nonfiction book I was writing for Citadel Press called Zombie CSU, The Forensics of the Living Dead, in which I interviewed hundreds of real-world experts about how we would react if Night of the Living Dead was a real thing. And um, okay. it was during that process that the idea of, for Joe Ledger and the plot line of that book came into my head, which at first I thought was going to be a one-shot. And um, then it turned out to be a series. And I didn't want to do a series of zombie novels. I wanted to do a book in which prion disease was retasked to create a zombie-like plague, uh, which is what Patient Zero was about. The second book, um, I, I went a different direction. I, I dealt with transgenic science. The third, I dealt with mm-hmm. um, weaponized Ebola and other things. So each book was a different aspect of science, which allows someone like me, who's a, a research junkie, to indulge myself in being able to just you know, research and learn and then decide what's going to make a, a good story element. Yeah. Um, another thing that you have uh, approached is the, uh, the ubiquitous um, uh, artificial intelligence surrounding us and uh, in our homes and, and everything. And that, that, that really scared me. I think it was, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember which book it was, book seven. Anyway, it, um, it, it was, expose the dangers of uh, techno terrorism and uh, the uh, there, there the yeah there, there were two books where I, I deal with AI a little bit one is Predator One which dealt with autonomous drive That's systems uh, autonomous combat systems and then in Dogs of War I, I went even further with, with AI and had a group that was trying to do a curated um, uh, apocalypse so that they, they would be able to rebuild the world based on what they wanted using AI as their primary weapon. So um, I've, I've talked to a lot of scientists about that and gotten scared out of my mind from some of the stuff that, you know, science is capable of doing these days. And right. every time I, I, I find that really scary. It is scary. I, mean, I, mean, I, don't, I don't write happy books. I write books about things that can go horribly wrong. I mean, you figure that's, that's the job of, of a thriller writer, we look at something and we say, well, what's the worst that can happen? And that's what we write. You know, the difference is if we're cynical, things end badly. And if we have a shred of optimism, things end kind of better. Though, if anyone reads Rage... You're one of the reasons I don't want one of those little things on the table that you ask them to open the locks and do all this. I'm like, no, thank you. I can do that myself. <laughs> yeah, there, there's there's some really um, some pretty scary some pretty scary stuff out there, and uh, it, it can get very intrusive, especially since a lot of it also shares information with other sources that you're not aware of. As they get yes. as they follow your lifestyle, they're actually sharing information. So that's scary. Yeah, that, that I do find that terrifying. So um, yeah, in fact, now and, and that book, by the way, the, the book Predator One. Everything that's in that book is actually realistic. It's doable. None of that is science fiction. It's all science. In fact, a lot of it was coming as soon as right around the time the book came out. Some of that stuff was just starting to hit the news. As, you know, these you know these things are happening. People are hacking autonomous drive systems, and AI is is acting irrationally. And um, so that was just me, like like a typical thriller writer, looking forward and seeing well. You know, things t- typically go wrong. What is it that's going to go wrong, and how is it going to go wrong? Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's the thing with your that I find with your books is that even uh, the earlier books, they seem so right on target with what we're living, you know, and, and uh, it, um, it is very, it can be very terrifying, but there's always Joe Ledger. So um, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're all going to be safe, but okay. So let's, um, let's, before we leave rage, let me ask you, are you already at work on the next book in the series? Uh, I've already sold the next two books, but uh, right now I'm, I'm writing a standalone horror novel that'll be out next fall called Ink, and then I will work on Relentless, which is the follow-up to Rage. Okay. And I'm also alter- alternating that time with writing um, uh, a comic book uh, on uh, a, a bioterrorism comic book dealing with ethnic-specific bioweapons. I'm doing that for IDW right, to write issue five. Oh. Okay. Oh my God. So let's talk a little bit about uh, your young reader audience. And, uh, you know, I think it's so important for um, authors who do write for adults in, in like the horror and the sci-fi and the thriller field to present something that young readers can get their teeth into and, you know, sort of learn about the genre and, and, read up into it so um, I know that you have a lot for young readers your Nightsiders book one Orphan Army was named uh, yeah. one of the 100 best books for children uh, Rotten Ruin was named which uh, YA was um, named in book list 10 best horror novels for young adults and Mars One is a standalone teen science fiction and that's that's an area I know a lot of people are trying to build that area up, but that's an area that I think we need a lot more in uh, teen science fiction. And that mm-hmm. I, I read that that one was, um, was um, optioned for yeah. film. Yeah. It's still an option. Uh, I don't actually, it's one of those quiet periods where sometimes you get a lot of news and sometimes you don't. But uh, they are still hoping to make it into a film, and uh, okay. uh, there's the possibility that um, somebody from SpaceX might be a technical advisor on it. Um, Ooh, we'll see if that okay. happens. Yeah, okay. pretty exciting. Well, um, what are some of the what are some of the differences in writing for adult and young reader audience that you find um, intriguing? Well, uh, first of the, the the way in which uh, YA fiction is done is it's not heavily categorized. Like, you know, it's not straight science fiction. It's not straight coming of age. It's not straight mystery or thriller. The adult uh, bookstores especially tend to categorize things a little too rigidly. With YA, uh-huh. you can cross genres anywhere you want as long as the story merits it. And uh, that gives you a lot of creative freedom when you want to tell a story, uh, which is what I did when I did my Rotten Ruin series for teens. But with Mars One, um, something like that, you know, you're, I'm not talking down to kids. YA writers do not talk down to kids. If anything, we write uh-huh. up to them because their brilliant minds are are defining themselves. They're not yet trapped by the cliches and repetitions of, of, uh-huh. of or the regurgitations of other people's thoughts that, that we adults often are, fall prey to. They're, they're doing more thinking for themselves than a lot of adults give them credit for. So we write up to them. Um, if there's something they don't understand, they'll go look it up. I mean, they have the resources to do that 
with every you know device they have with them. So we don't have to sugarcoat or water anything down. And that allows us to tell a compelling story that um, often avoids cliche because we're, we're taking more creative risks with these kids. Uh-huh. And um, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, now, of course, with YA, I'm not nearly as potty mouth as I am with my adult fiction. Um, <laughs> okay. That, that's, an, that's an actual thing. I mean, not, aside from the fact that, you know, you don't want to offend – it, it also hurts sales. The, the, I mean, you can get, you can sneak some harsh language in there, but it will hurt sales. And, um, you know, unless that, unless a word needs to be in there, it doesn't necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, you might want to leave it out. Um, but other than that, um, but there, are YA fiction is, there are, there are gatekeepers. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes the gatekeepers are not at the publishers and sometimes it's not the librarians. It's often some school official who, who, who is trying to keep children from seeing what the real world is like. And I am not a fan of that. Um, but they are the ones who are often controlling the purses that, uh, you know, uh, give the, the librarians the money to buy books. So you have to be able to play the politics a little bit in order to get those books in the schools so the kids have a chance of reading them. Yeah, the um, the new documentary on um, uh, scary stories to tell in the dark, not the not the film, but the um, the documentary, uh, has mm-hmm. a whole section on um, the uh, the battle to keep those books in school libraries, and uh, yes. it, it was very very interesting that that book was always challenged. And yet. And they're, they're every everyone I know who read that book as a kid, yeah, everyone who read that book as a kid grew up loving that book and also finding it deeply entertaining. Nobody was corrupted by it. Nobody turned into a serial killer because of it. If anything, it, it allowed it allows you to have that scary moment to see resolution. Um, you know, it's it's it, it's it's entertainment without being an encouragement to go out and do something weird. And um, right. And I'm I'm very pleased right now to be to be the editor of uh, a tribute anthology for Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which will be out from Harper Collins next year. Um, and uh, it's it, we have 35 fantastic writers in them, including R.L. Stein and and um, quite a few others. And you know they they told some scary stories. We didn't pull our punches with that. I am so looking forward to that book. I can't tell you. Um, I think you'll enjoy also, it. Um, oh, I know, I know. <laughs> um, I did want to ask when you you write in so many different um, styles and genres and uh, sci-fi and horror and standalone series, short stories, mm-hmm. comic books. When an idea comes to you, how do you know how that story needs to be told? Uh, uh... At first, I mean, the first time you do it, you don't know because I've I've started short stories that have later become novels. So sometimes you don't know at first. Um, Pandemica, my new comic, originally was going to be a, a a Joe Ledger story, but too much of the world has changed in the story, so I knew it was going to be a novel in a series. So what else could it be? And I didn't, want to, I didn't know that I wanted to do a standalone novel with it. I thought, well, it would make a great comic book. Um, and now, you know, 
since I've been doing all this for a while, you kind of have an instinct from the uh, from the the birth of the idea. But in the beginning, when you're first learning how to do this, you don't have that instinct. You have to fuss with it a little bit to decide to find out where you know what it wants to be. Right, right, and 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 you some of the stories go through more than one um, iteration. And that's yeah. as you said, they do a comic book, and well, and speaking of that, um, your um, B Wars, which will be. Uh, Coming out December fifth, started out as yep, a comic book. Yep, the first season. Well, it's actually it started out as a short anthology, where I would I wrote a forty or fifty thousand word framing story, and then invited other writers to come in and do essentially field reports as this outbreak of this genetic disease is turning people, you know, percentage of the population to vampires. Once the first couple of books were out, they asked me if I would also do a comic book. So I did a companion comic book that kind of takes place between. The volumes of the of the uh, the books, and um, oh, I the show see. is based okay. on, on both elements of the comics and of the, of the shared world anthologies of my framing story for that anthology. Okay, um, well, so that's coming out December fifth. Yeah, ten episodes per season Netflix. drops on Netflix. Yeah, starring okay. Ian Summerholder from Vampire Diaries and bunch of other actors that people will definitely recognize from uh, other pop culture shows, Battlestar Galactica, Twilight, um, Bitten, Smallville, Orphan Black. We have a great cast. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And another thing I can't wait to, to see. Um, so you had mentioned you were, you're busy at work on several new things. What's the next up after uh, B-Wars? Uh, next next project of viewers uh, will be, geez, I got a bunch of short stories coming out. Uh, Pandemica issue five will wrap the first arc, and that'll that'll be out in a little after the first of the year, I think. Uh, we, have, we have three more issues to be published, and um, that's from coming from IDW. Working on some projects, some other companies I actually can't mention yet, um, but they're going to be oh. fun, relatively big news when that happens. Um, and then in uh, 2020, I've got three novels coming out. I've got Lost Roads, which is the last in the Rotten Ruin series. It's book seven. Um, that'll be out. Okay. Uh, I think they just announced it for August. So it originally was going to be February, but I think it's going to be August. Um, and then we've got Ink, my standalone horror novel that I'm currently writing. And then Relentless, the next Joe Ledger book. All three of those novels will be out next year. Um, Scary Stories, uh, that will be out next year. Uh, and we'll be doing a cover reveal on that soon. And I've got several projects in various stages of development with producers for possible TV uh, shows and films. And I hope to be making some, some big announcements about that moderately soon. Um, unfortunately, okay. And Rage is available now? Rage came out um, uh, the 5th of this month. And um, okay. it, is, it is out, and it's doing really well. And, and it's, I think it's my favorite of the thrillers I've ever written, and which makes it tied with my favorite book that I've ever written, which is Glimpse. Um, so those oh, came yes. out last year. Which I, um, just got well, out I, for I, film, I, by the way. I've run out of time, but I would love to talk to you about your standalone sometime. So I hope you you would come back and oh, visit us. Before you go, please tell um, our listeners where they can find you, your um, uh your website or how they can find you. 
Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find if you spell my name right. And the last name is M-A-B-E-R-R-Y. You're going you're gonna to want to put the Y in the middle, but it's M-A-B, not M-A-Y-B. Jonathan Mayberry. I'm on uh, my website, jonathanmayberry.com. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Um, I'm everywhere on, on the net. So come and find me and, and come and have some fun. Oh, that sounds terrific. Thank you so much for coming on. And Alistair? All right. Uh, yes, thank you again for being on. Um, you are a delight. We we love having you, and you're welcome back anytime. And I'm very, very excited for all your upcoming stuff. And, again, congratulations on all your many recent successes. Uh, keep up the great work. I'm loving it. So, yeah. Um, Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. You're- you're welcome. Anytime. Uh, we'll, we'll be in touch. Um, all right. Uh, so, yes, thank you for being on, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Again, this is Thorn and Cross, Haunted Nights Live. And until next week, we wish you haunted nights. Sweet screams. And don't forget to check under the bed before you turn off the light. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. Thank you.